Hi, I'm Chad Gordon. Welcome to a special edition of the Leader Chat Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Jay Campbell. Jay is the Chief Product Officer at Blanchard and heads up our research initiatives. He recently completed our fifth annual survey to identify the top challenges that L&D professionals are facing in this post-pandemic world. We're going to talk about what we learned. Jay, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thanks, Chad. It's so great to be here. I'm I finally made it. What a what an honor. I love that. And you this is the fifth survey, the the, the fifth time you've done this. Uh, but it's the first time we've unpacked this on uh, the podcast. So tell us a little bit about the history of the survey. Um, you know, uh when was the poll conducted? Who did you talk to? And and ultimately, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, this this survey dates back, um, as you mentioned, five years. It was founded by um, my research pal, Dave Witt, um, and uh, we've been running it every year uh, in order to get longitudinal data, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and we really focus on um, on expectations, on what people are expecting in our in our primary market, which is the human resources, learning and development um area within within large organizations and so we get anywhere from 600 to 1200 um of those types of people every year and we we try and figure out what uh what's happened to them in the past year and what their expectations are so it's really it's a kind of a forward-looking um view and what's cool is when you look back on five years of history it's sort of like yesterday's tomorrow's it's a it's a it's a retrospective look at what people's expectations are for the future. So it's very cool. Um, we do um, some questions that are the same each year in order to get, you know, a real sort of tight longitudinal story. And then we we rotate some questions. And so Dave and I spend a lot of time each year trying to figure out what, what new um, topics uh, are hot this year that we might want to add in. And of course, every year it gets better because we we do a combination of of sort of closed-ended, like multiple choice questions and open-ended questions, um, and which is tough for us because our little research team has has to go through thousands and thousands of these um, open-ended responses, starting to look at AI for a little bit of help with that. Um, but that makes the next year's questions even better. Um, so there's a number of the of the factors that we measure over time, which have, have gotten closer and closer um, each time we do it. We're going to dig into the specifics and the learnings and everything. But when you think about this survey, uh, Jay, what are you hoping to accomplish with it? We're really trying to get a sense of what uh, our HR and L&D buyers and partners are are focused on, um, what their expectations are, and what uh, we can do to help them. So we we focus a lot on, on uh, what, what they're struggling with, what their realities are. Uh, what what their training topics might be. So we we asked a lot of questions about um, what's hot on your to do list. You know what what uh, gaps are you hearing from your business partners, um, and that that helps us just be be a better partner to them. We're going to dig into each of the different topic areas. I won't list them all off at once. We'll kind of go um, one at a time. The first one is around hiring and retention. I, I find this is such a, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the the results on this, because if you think about all the ups and downs and all the changes, um, both before and, and during and after the pandemic, um, I've got to imagine this has been something that's 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 bounced around in the last five years. What would you find around hiring and retention? <clears throat> well, we found that um, when you, when you 
tap into this this market, what you hear uh, is basically what's going on inside organizations because the HR and L&D folks are really irresponsible for, for, um, for keeping, you know, the talent pool uh, happy and keeping it um, full of talent. Um, and so, you know, it's a good way to find out what's really going on inside organizations and how much stress um, or how much tension is occurring across um, leadership teams. Um, and when we ask them for their, their top HR objectives, really focusing on the HR side, um, three of the five top objectives were really focused on this idea of, of hiring and retention, you know, retaining, uh, hiring great performers, attracting great workers, and creating this amazing um, employee experience, you know, engagement. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So um, what's, what's happening over the last few years we've seen is, is a, a shift, a steady shift of, you can call it power. Um, decision rights, um, confidence from the employers to the employees. Um, and this trend has continued. And, um, you know, macroeconomically, uh, things are still pretty good. The recovery has been slow in the U.S. And, and in other parts of the world, but it's still been a recovery. And the recession fears um, haven't gelled in most markets. And job growth is good. Unemployment's pretty low from a 20-year average, um, you know. So it's not perfect. There's lots of news of downsizings, but downsizing, but but um, it's become a little bit better um, over the last few years to be an employee. Um, and you know, some of the stats that we have talk about this idea that that um, most of our respondents believe that next year is going to be a harder year for for hiring 87 percent think it's going to get even a little bit harder next year um and similar 88 percent thought that you know retention is going to be harder so this idea that um you've really got to rise to the occasion in order to meet your employees um and create a an amazing place to work otherwise um there's plenty of other other employers in the sea you touched on it a little bit briefly there. So let's just go right to that topic around employee engagement. What did you learn there? Well, um, what's happening with this shift in power um, is that, you know, HRLND folks are really focused on engagement and they're, they're trying to figure out what matters. And this varies um, from organization to organization, but um, obviously there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of attention around things like compensation over the years. And that remains kind of an important quality. But what's also happening is um, this sort of rise of, of well-being in importance and, and a rise in flexibility. Um, and, you know, companies are dealing with it in lots of different ways. And some of them are steering into it um, and, you know, and having major well-being initiatives and offering people tons of flexibility. And others are are uh, are moving in the opposite direction, and but I think what's happening around um, the overall sort of pace of change is driving a lot of well-being um, issues with with employees. Uh, so, um, for instance, sixty percent of people this is a fast company poll um, would quit their job to find an organization with a little bit better well-being. Um, 32% of employees, this is a Gallup number, are struggling with anxiety and depression. Uh, and 
80% of managers, this is a Forbes stat, are not confident in handling um, well-being and mental health issues. So there's a lot of attention being focused on it, and there's a lot of gaps there. When we asked uh, our, or, our, our respondents how well their organizations tend to do now in terms of employee engagement, um, we saw maybe like a positivity bias because only 13% of uh, the respondents said that their organization has lower than average levels of engagement. So, so um, there's there's some some realization that needs to happen. There's some work, and then there's all these new dimensions that you know organizations haven't focused a lot on, like well-being um, or hybrid work flexibility, that are are just becoming like table stakes now. So let's shift a little bit to more around. I guess we can call it a bit around the the employee experience uh, is a lot of the things that we do at Blanchard are we're many things, but we are a training company. Um, and so what did, what did this research find around the evolution, evolution rather of training modalities? Yeah. Well, when you drill down outside of the overall like workforce management, HR, and you start looking into more into the L and D domain, um, there's lots going on. And, um, there's a lot of attention right now on AI. There's a lot of attention, as always, on leadership development and several other um, sort of long-term uh, focus areas. Um, but one of the really interesting things going on over the last five years has been um, how training has showed up. And um, the training modalities have really um, pivoted quite a bit over the last five years. So we started tracking this data um, back in late 1999, a little before COVID. And so our first data point really represented um, the old the old norm, the pre-COVID, pre-pandemic norms. And, um, and across this large group of, of L&D people, um, what we were hearing was that normal like workshops, face-to-face, in-person workshops represented um, more than two-thirds of the, the training modalities that were out there. Um, and uh, e-learning and virtual were pretty low, both down in the maybe 12 to 15 percent. And then what happened was there was this massive shift and, um, you know, in, in during COVID where where face to face workshops collapsed um, as an organization, we had we saw like almost none for at least a 12 month period, which was, you know, hundreds, typically hundreds a month. And so that was a real powerful drop and a massive uptick in virtual. Um, and then over the last three years, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but there has been like a stabilization with these three modalities all being kind of um, in the one third, one third, one third. Um, so it's, it's really almost leveled it all out. Um, and only now, um, over the last couple of months, are we sensing that face-to-face training has returned sufficiently that it's becoming um, going to become a little more popular than virtual and um, like pure asynchronous self-paced training and over in, in the, in the coming year. And so, um, but what's happened is while face-to-face is kind of back into the number one slot um, it's still in, you know, in the high 30% as opposed to, almost 70%. So what's happened is because of COVID, we've probably seen 15 years worth of um, worth of acceleration um, happen in within a couple of years. 
So lots of changes, but I don't think anything has changed the dialogue, um, the thoughts of the future, uh, uh, just, just the world is going to drastically change with our next topic around artificial intelligence. What did you find? What were the key takeaways around this discussion around AI? Yeah, it's terrific. I, I'm, this was one of the areas that we added um, some new questions this year because it really wasn't um, as much on people's minds a year and a half ago. Um, and, you know, and, and ChatGPT is still a relatively new thing. Um, so what we, what we wanted to find out basically were two things. One is um, how much usage is out there um, or is expected to be. And then secondly, um, what are they actually using artificial intelligence for. Uh, so we have, you know, what you saw was a, an adoption curve uh, with about um, everybody sort of is paying attention to it in one level or another. About 30% of the respondents we asked um, were actually using AI at some level now. Um, and for, of that, those like early adopters um, or very early majority, um, over 90% are planning to use more of it. And then the numbers kind of fell off uh, beyond that. And then when we, so we, I think those numbers are going to change pretty radically over the next year. And um, a lot of times too, AI is being used in these organizations or even in the HR L&D department, but a lot of people don't know about it. So it's, there's going to be some increased usage, um, a lot of movement towards the, the sort of middle majority um, and uh, still pretty early days, uh, but there'll also be a lot of uh, more, uh, more recent awareness of tools that are already being used. When we drilled into what they're actually, what they think they want to use it for, and again, this is an early population of users. Um, on the HR side, we heard about two cool applications. One is using AI to assist um, in career development. So the idea of AI is being like passive observers to what somebody's doing at work and and then making some suggestions and this is this stuff's already happening um for, through some of the tools that are out there microsoft's moving in a lot of directions simultaneously around this idea of co-pilots that'll be assisting um a lot of us in a lot of different tasks um the other one is performance management so so again by analyzing employee data but also watching um, interaction trends happening, for instance, via email or Teams or something, um, AI can be making some recommendations on how to improve relationships um, or, or uh, reduce team meetings or things like that. So that's kind of on the HR side. And then on the L&D side, um, the two applications that sort of bubble to the top that people are most interested in first really revolve, revolve, around, revolve around curation or creation. Um, and so in a world where the best learning happens <clears throat> in a personalized path, then, you know, L&D departments don't have the staff to do that for every learner, but AI can. So AI can be, can be you know, understanding people's needs and then making specific selections on what um, training experience might be best for individuals. That's the curation side. And then on the creation side, um, you know, we've been playing with some tools, for instance, that will very rapidly allow um, training materials from one type to be converted into another or for a, a five hour program to be reduced to a two hour program in kind of in the blink of an eye. Um, so 
lots of really early, early exciting um, applications for AI. And it luckily not a lot of like raw fear, um, which is out there. But um, but I think people are 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 there's a lot of hope mixed in with it. So let's talk about more on uh, how this is going to affect the employees out there. And again, um, how um, so much research shows that employees really value organizations that invest in them. So what did you find out about training budgets in the study? Well, um, you know, uh, that is one of the things we ask uh, year after year. And and uh, we what we've heard is good news. Um, and that is the that um, HRLD people who do spend a lot of time thinking about um, the employee base and, and giving them those growth opportunities and all that pressure on, you know, making each organization a place that other people want to work um, is is showing some some confidence that the that budgets will increase. So what we're seeing is overall is about an eight percent increase in training expected inside these HRLD departments for next year. Um, and then when we put the alligator clips just onto leadership development um, in that's, which has become, you know, a, a kind of annual perennial um, hot topic for a lot of organizations, they're looking at a 13% increase in budget on that side, which is cool. You know, we like to say here, what gets measured gets done. And so measurement impact, it's so vitally important. Uh, uh, what are you finding? How are organizations investing and valuing measurement impact of the initiatives they're taking on? Yeah, the the measurement part of um, learning and development is has always been a, like a fascinating one because there's a lot of it's hard to it's hard to take a position that it's not important, right? Because it's it's intrinsically important. Um, yet in a lot of a lot of instances, training isn't really measured all that much and I, th I think part of it is just optimism or assumptions or just time pressure. Um, what we are seeing is is a, a steady increase in the importance and the actual follow through of clients on measurement. And we're actually seeing so there's a there's a common model um, for training impact called the Kirkpatrick model, which has been around for a long, long time. Um, and uh, it's level one um, is the lowest level and level four or five or six, depending on the version of the model you're looking at, um, are higher level models where actually real you know, impact is accrued to an organization. And, and we're just seeing more clients spending more time trying to get higher and higher up that ladder, which is really good. Moving past, you know, did you like the training um, to uh, actually measuring um, behavior change? you know, after the training and, and hopefully even equating that to actual ROI. So we're seeing some, some steady increase in the quality of measurement that's out there. What about the future? Did you find out through this, this survey in terms of skill development, future needs. We've talked a little bit about how technology is going to impact things through AI, and we've talked about training, but what sort of future skills are going to be needed to be successful and to stand out in the future? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really fun topic area. This idea of, of um, what skills 
what behaviors, what competences, capabilities are becoming more important that might not have been so important um, a couple of years ago. And so this is something we've been tracking for a while. We especially like to sort of tune the frequency in around, around leader bench strength. And like, if you think about leaders in terms of managers and executives, what are the skills that are most critical for them to succeed? And it does vary by organization, which is makes sense, right? But what I, but what's also true is that there has been a a steady and meaningful shift towards softer skills. So when we ask when we asked in this year's survey, what are the five most important skills that you need in in leaders? Um, number one was engaging in development in developing talent, um, which is terrific and would not have been on the list, you know, a generation back, probably. Um, number two is leading and supporting change. You know, that just the pace of change comes through in so many ways. Um, and this one shows up at higher ratings in other parts of the world, especially parts of Asia. Um, number three is coaching people through challenges. Again, a very soft, supportive, conceptual um, employee first skill. Um, fourth is communicating clearly, which again, the collaboration, communication, support. And then number five is driving innovation. So that which equates to number two, the change initiative. So you're seeing three of the five really being um, this, uh, creating this like more empathetic, more involved, more coach-like, um, more development-oriented uh, leader. Um, and, um, you know, one of the stats I remember reading from an Inc. Inc. article was that 82% of people would change their jobs in order to go to a company with that had more empathy. And, and this is what organizations are, are wanting, either either drawn towards or afraid of. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, we, we look at this list as this is, this is really what we need to help organizations with um, and around topics. And, and so there's a lot of work to be done here, which is beautiful. Um, for instance, on the communicating, clearly number four, um, there's a fast company stat recently, 69% of managers are uncomfortable providing feedback, you know, and so it's a critical, a critical skill and two thirds of managers um, aren't comfortable with providing it. So, so that's kind of what's going on around the topical side, the problem domain. Um, the other thing I'll share is that we, 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 we asked uh, L&D buyers this year, what would the ideal leadership development experience look like? And specifically, would it have some of these characteristics? Um, and what we found was that they believe the ideal leadership development experience would be a personalized journey. Um, it would probably have some standardized components so that, you know, models or language can be rolled out, but it would be highly personalized. It would, it would roll out over multiple years it would be integrated into their work and it would be peer supported. It would be social in nature. Um, and when, when we think about our actual L&D friends, um, very few can pull this off right now. Either they don't have the platform or they don't have the staff. Um, it's, it's, it's off, you know, you often talk to these departments and they'll have five or six people covering a hundred thousand employees. So um, very, it's not a, it's not a, not a well, not, 
you know, well-staffed, lavishly staffed departments. So anyways, this creates a really cool opportunity around how do we provide these personalized um, multi-year integrated peer supported um, leadership experiences um, without, without the staff to, to spend time individually with people. It's a really fun problem to solve. There's a big section within here about leadership development. And I think this, this was kind of surprising. Uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong about that, but a lot of respondents were very focused when they think about leadership development around executive development. What'd you find there? It's, it's been, it's been rising. Um, yeah. So we did, we asked some questions about, about executive development and, um, and what we found is that it's, it is on HR L and D departments mind, um, that the majority of them, um, seven out of 10 said that executive development's on their agenda. It's on their budget there. It's a, it's an explicit goal. Um, and there's a sort of a steady increase in attention around it. And um, exec development can be solved in lots of different ways. Um, you know, everything from um, asking them, all of them to read books, you know, and talk about it to sending them off to, you know, a business school or something like that. But when we, when we asked about the specific um, steps that people tend to be taking or planning on taking this year, it, it, it was around, you know, workshops, um, executive coaching, which is quite effective, can be expensive, but it's really effective. Um, and then going to conferences and seminars um, as the lowest hanging fruit, the things that they're, that they're planning on doing most. Um, so yeah, this is, um, the, the L&D departments are, are thinking about the executive level, they're thinking about the leader level, um, they're thinking about, um, employees um they're th they have to think about everybody yeah it's uh it does take a, a village uh there's so much more to unpack here and, and at the end uh, of of the podcast i'll share uh, an opportunity way for people to get a free ebook so they can dig a little bit deeper into this but jay uh such great insights uh again this is the fifth year that that, that we've been doing this that you've been doing this um if I could ask you just one final question, you know, what's the one thing, what's the one big takeaway that you took from this year's survey? Wow. Um, well, I guess what I would say in summary is um, that pressures, pressures are mounting um, that the, 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 the sensing of the pressure is real in the, in the workforce and it's real. Leaders are getting stretched in multiple directions. Executives are being, um, I have a little bit more pressure. So you have this weird dichotomy where pressures are growing, pressure to grow revenue, to perform, to reduce costs, to adapt, to innovate, to outmove them, outmove your competitors. Um, at the same time, where there's pressures to be more empathetic, to avoid burnout, um, to you know, to to support your 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 people, um, and. And I guess all I'm, I'm just here to say, to just acknowledge it, you know, these pressures are mounting, the stretches feels a little bit stretchier <laughs> every yeah. year, a little more like torsion on people. Um, and, you know, no, none of us are sure how to resolve it, yeah. but it does feel like something has to give. And I guess the question I would leave people with is, if something has to give, what, what should give in your, in your organization?
because at some point, you know, it's just a little bit too much and we have to make some, some trade-offs. Jay, thank you. Uh, appreciate uh, your insights today. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Thanks, Chad. Thank you, Jay, for spending some time with us today. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a summary of the results of our research, you can download the ebook on our website. Just go to blanchard.com and click on the resources tab at the top of the page. Then click on ebooks where you'll find the 2024 trend survey. Download it today so you can dig a little bit deeper into the areas that we explored today. Thank you.